0: you know, or point out the 50 things they need to improve in their life. Their guard is down. They're more receptive to communicating. They're feeling closer um, and, and that's priceless.
1: You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Jim, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream?
0: I like chocolate chip cookie dough. That's probably my favorite.
1: Okay. Okay. A little bit of chunk, a little bit of chewy, a little bit yeah. of chocolate. Yep. You a cone or a bowl guy?
0: <laughs> uh, I'll usually do a bowl and get a – if I'm going to get ice cream, I'm going to get a bowl, and then I can put toppings on and they don't fall off, you know, so yep.
1: – there you go there you go well down in florida and in costa rica where you split your time i'm assuming it's too hot to uh take it in a cone it'd be melted before you get out exactly
0: the my kids try though and they get it all over the place so um, yep. I, so we we definitely have half cone half bowl family <laughs>
1: yeah even after several warnings they want to oh yeah uh, no
0: there's there is no remembrance of that last <laughs> one that melted and fell they just don't remember yeah <laughs> yeah yep. well
1: jim tell our listeners what's the scoop what do you do today
0: Yeah, in real estate, um, my main uh, niche is I build new construction properties for investors in high growth markets in Florida. Um, That's that's what we do. It's called Build to Rent. It's become kind of a popular term out there, but we got into it about a decade ago by accident. And on the family side, I have a family education company called 18 Summers, where I help uh, busy entrepreneurs stay grounded with their family life.
1: Yeah. And... That's why I'm super excited to have you on the show. Through my research, you are a family guy with a business, not a business guy with a family. And I wanna take the approach for 18 summers and let's start the conversation there. So give our listeners just a high level. What is 18 summers? How did you come up with the concept? And we'll dig in from there.
0: Yeah, 18 summers was just something that was imparted to me by a mentor about making sure you make the most of the time that you have. Because there used to be horrible advice out there, Matt. Uh, you know, put your head down for five, ten years, your family will understand. You'll get back to them. That was the business hard grind advice. That's horrible, horrible advice because the years are not all equal. And, uh, and actually, you know, 85% of the time that the average person will spend with their child comes by the end of the 18th summer. You know, that's a stat. And uh, if you're not intentional, you could miss that. And if you miss that, the odds of them wanting to come back for more later in life are very low. And uh, and I didn't want to get caught up in that. And you know, my own family life had quite a bit of, you know, of rough beginnings. I'd say, and I wanted to make sure I didn't mess it up. And uh, that's where eighteen summers was boredom. And all of a sudden, it became a best-selling book. And then retreats that again just bring entrepreneur families together that have the goal to not only succeed in business but succeed at home.
1: Yeah. So um, you mentioned having a difficult journey through your family life in the beginning. Talk to us about what does your family look like today.
0: Yeah, so we have uh, five kids now, uh, ranging from almost two to almost 20. So we have quite a gamut. But my family life didn't start off as the normal family life. You know, many years ago when I met my wife, uh, my wife had gotten married young, uh, out of college to a high school boyfriend, ended up being in a horrible situation, alcohol and abuse. Uh, she stood up for herself, got out of it, um, and, uh, and got full custody of her, her two young sons. And I met her a few years later. Um, and, and I fell in love, her and I were definitely a fall in love instantly type connection. And, uh, and I fell in love with her and, and the other two almost right away. And the, the boys and I hit it off famously. Uh, but at the same time that they had trust issues, you know, from things they had gone through things outside of my wife's control that she definitely, you know, tried to prevent. Um, but, uh. But they had trust issues, so we had to overcome those, you know, and uh, and so I started to spend these these one-on-one days with them that started to become known as gym days, and then once they asked me to adopt them, about a year later, uh, dad days, and then called board meetings. Um, and, and that's where this simple concept came up, uh, which 18 Summers kind of revolves around, was giving quality time and prioritization to my family. And I didn't want to write about this, Matt i'm I'm a real estate investor i'm not a family psychologist i'm not a you know therapist uh but the results that i got especially with my older son now you know you wouldn't recognize the kid of today you know with his own charter fishing business you know before his twentieth birthday and in his zone doing great you know but when i came into his life he was he was um and i give him the credit but when i came into his life you know he was failing uh school he was um put on the spectrum for autism, which, you know, I hate that word, and, uh, and he was suffering every night from night terrors. And uh, those are horrible things where your kids wake up screaming for hours at a time. It can be, it can be really hard on both you and, and the child. And um, you know, within a year of doing this, this one simple strategy that I know you know from my friends at Front Row Dad and that, uh, things changed. You know, he went from failing, he got the most improved student of the third grade award, they retracted the diagnosis of autism I knew it wasn't autism it was stress related from mm-hmm. things that he couldn't control and uh, and within a year the night terrors were gone and uh, and and the whole thing I learned about that Matt and I think you said and I know I give I give my buddies over at front row I know they've really you know landmarked that and said be a family man with a business not a business man with a family it there is a time for medication and therapy. I don't want to get you wrong. Those things can be important sometimes, but that's not what my son needed. He needed just a really good, positive male role model that spent quality time and, and he felt safe and appreciated with. That was it. And and so we got those results without, without you know, therapy or, or drugs. And uh, And I started to share this story with a lot of discomfort. I mean, you got to remember, we're not talking about a perfect family start. First of all, it's hard for my wife to discuss, you know, what she had gone through. Now, you know, she's leading unbelievable women out of issue, which I'm so proud of. You know, I didn't want to share this. This wasn't something that I wanted to, but I'm so glad I did because this pushed me. And then all of a sudden people started discovering, say, talk about these days. What are you doing? And then all of a sudden we started hosting retreats. And for years we hosted retreats with other families coming in. And uh, and I think it's it was important, Matt, because... There's a lot of places you and I can go to really hone in and, uh, and and hyper-focus on how to improve our business, but there's not a lot of places where businessmen can go to really have a, a set agenda to improve their family, and that's why I think our simple strategies and our retreats work, uh, because there's just not a lot out there that really focuses on that.
1: Yeah, I want to get into this family board meeting and the concept behind it, but before we get there, you and I share a similar background in the sense of both of us have Step kids, bonus dad kids, whatever we want to call it. Um, how old were your were the two Seven kids? And Seven and five. And now they're almost eighteen, almost twenty. Do you think it was easier because they were younger to be introduced into their life? Talk us through that transition process. Uh,
0: I think it. I mean, I think the easiest age probably to be introduced is less than two you know we adopted right. a little girl last year at birth and so and we're still in contact with the birth mother it was you know she she really was trying to do something good and 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 but i think our our young daughter just had such a flow you know, I, I think she's gonna she's gonna do really well i think it's definitely easier at that middle age where i came in than the teen years um, because at that age, and when you're five and seven, what are you always talking about? Oh, my dad can climb skyscrapers. My dad, you know, yep. you're just always talking about, you know, silly little things that a little boy talks about. And so I think for me, they were vibing for that role model in that position in their life, but they were also scared because if I've learned anything that they understood what the word dad was, they had a meaning of the word dad, but it didn't have a good Mm-hmm. Uh, surrounding to it you know and that's something we learned doing foster care there was actually a pretty sad story about uh, when we were going through all our foster and then adoption classes that a friend of ours who was one of the teachers told us that this little boy was fostered by this family he, he you know they decided to adopt him and they um, and, and then they returned him in a, a few weeks later I mean they returned this little he was I think he was six it was in between my two boys ages and um, we were, my wife and I were horrified. We're like, what do you mean they returned him? they said, well, the, the, the father was very offended that he would not call him dad. And the whole thing was that word didn't have a good surrounding to it. So he was actually giving him a compliment not saying that. And yep. so with my boys, you know, it didn't even come for about two years. And I just kept always saying, well, what are we supposed to, you know, what do we call? I said, you call me whatever you want. I love you just the same. And then yep. they decided. Uh, yeah, I think that
1: them. that's one thing that we've said from the beginning is like it has to be very it has to be on their terms. If they ever want to yeah. say that and and call me that, that would be great. But if they don't want to, I'm still going to love and be there for them the same. But how did you so I think there's this stigma out there that the male has to come in and be the male presence and be the man in the relationship and in the household and can kind of be overbearing for kids in that age. Did you all have a certain strategy that you tried to approach introducing you to them, talking through moving in together, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I
0: I think we just had such a currency of fun that we got along so well that made it easier. But again, I didn't force words and and also something that I never did. Um, And this is really important for anyone listening, you know, at five and seven or teen years, no matter how much it may be warranted if you start to talk shit about the other party, all you're doing is dumping that toxicity on the child and they start to take it on and they start to feel guilty and they start to feel um, a a load. And that's, Matt, I've done a lot of things wrong, that's for sure, and imperfect, but that's one thing I did really well. What I did make clear was, look, there's been some, there's been some some things that happened before I was here. I want to let you know that they will never happen again. I'm here for good. They will, n- you never ever have to worry about that again. I'm here for you. Mom's safe. You're safe. I got your back a hundred percent. You never have to worry about that ever again. And that was enough. And and that's all I had to bring them in on and anything else that had to be you know taken care of. But I never spoke shit, Matt, about the other party because that that's a recipe for disaster that I hear a lot of people say. It, it just, it, it, it's, it, it really, it, it never ends well. It just right. never ends well.
1: That, and I think like I've read a bunch of studies that talk about the child at that age doesn't can't separate themselves from their biological parents. Yeah. So they yeah. kind of think that you're talking about them when you're exactly. saying that so i mean our approach has always been i'm going to be present i'm going to be fun i will say yes to them when they want to do fun things like we we run sprints we uh i chase them around we play tag in the morning and all those sorts of things and i've never once said anything bad about their father but i know through them that their father has said bad things about me which now that we've kind of been in this for a little bit we talk about it's almost like put me up on a pedestal because it's like well wait a minute 100%. Mr. Matt's the fun person. He, he helps us out. He loves us. He shows up for us when you're never there, but you're talking, you're saying bad words about him and all those sorts of things. So anybody that's going through that, Our, I think we both agree, don't, don't talk smack about the other parent.
0: Yeah. A family therapist that's friends of ours said, keep your mouth shut and let someone who has lower values hang themselves by displaying them. Right. Right. And and that's so I could care less what was being said about me, because they start to f- they start to form their own educated opinion, and and how loudly does that one observation scream saying, well hold on, they're not saying anything about it and they're showing up this way, you're saying a lot about it and showing up this way, it right. doesn't have to go much further than that, and and I know that that can be really hard, um, and there could be a time and the place down the road. I mean now. I'm, my oldest sons are almost 18 almost 20 we've had some very serious talks they understand now you know things that i i i I put very clearly to that but i didn't bring them in on that at age five and seven you know what i mean and nor did i do that and we left the door open um if they wanted to see um and they chose on their own not to and again that's just it's it's there is a free will there that can be pretty scary, Matt. i got to be honest with you because you don't know if you're going to get rejected or bring something in. And there's, you know, been such awfulness. Uh, but but kids are pretty smart. And if yep. you hold the s- core values that are strong, I think you can overcome anything. And now, you know, at this age, I mean, I can't even believe, you know, from that first front row dads. I mean, that was, I don't know, a decade ago, you know. So we're talking about two young men that I can have very, very Coy, straightforward conversations with. So there, there's a lot to look forward to for people who are out there listening to this if you do it right. Um, you know, and how do you show up? I can tell you, I show up silly, overbearing, annoying dad jokes, but sober and, um, you know, and, and always trying to support their. Gifts and passions without doing the push ups for them. And there's just some key things, you know, I learned through the masterminds at our retreats that I try to put into practice. Again, not with perfection, but, you know, families like ours, I think they can be 10 times more rewarding um, yep. because y- you just, you, you, you started a different point that wasn't necessarily easy, but then the achievement is that much greater.
1: Yep. Yep. And I, I try to remind them too, like, I chose you to be a part of our family like i chose to be a part of this and yeah. um even when we just recently got engaged like 10 days ago and that's oh, congratulations. Their little note. thank you thank you and their note that i wrote to them that i hope they keep forever it's like hey i chose for you to be a part of our family and for us to be a family together and all those sorts of things and i hope they kind of remember that because oh they uh, will it's look tough. i can
0: tell you on, on the on these one-on-one days you know these one-on-one days, as you know, are not about lectures. They're not about you know all the ways a kid has to improve their life. It's about some open communication, some sincere compliments, some genuine apologies. And I know my sons remember things I said to them a decade ago on these one-on-one focus mm-hmm. days that they said made a huge difference. Huge. Um, and, and so my, my bet, Matt, is they're definitely going to remember that. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about the one-on-one
0: days, gym days, or now <clears throat> rebranded family board meetings.
1: What's, uh, what's the purpose of them? How do you structure them? Let's just talk through that.
0: Yeah, so they're, they're all about uh, you know, reconnecting the team and looking forward to the next 90 days. Every quarter, I, I have a, a, a quote-unquote board meeting or whatever you want to call it, dad day, mom day. Um, it doesn't matter what you call it, you know, but it's, it's a, a day that consists of just three guiding principles, and that's one-to-one intermittent tech fasting, and focused reflect uh fun activity with focused reflection and i can explain that but these days are about reconnecting me to each one of my children and uh and keeping our relationship strong in a fun engaging way so to repeat it it's one-on-one
1: with the with the child it's a tech fast and then it's uh rewarding and something fun Let's one on one's pretty clear, but let's talk well, about TechFast. I've I've heard well, you talk about this. Well, I do
0: want to this. mention on one on one though, Matt, for 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 our our, our cheat cheater guys out there. If you don't hear anything else today, just remember this one thing: one to one, you got to separate the parts to strengthen the whole. Yep. You got to separate the parts to strengthen the whole. When you get on one on one time, it, it puts the magnifying glass on the relationship in a positive way. It slows things down. It takes away distractions like sibling rivalry. Maybe they lean harder on your spouse because they have a better relationship. It really puts you in in a certain realm that a lot of people never have that connection point. And so, you know, big family gatherings are great. You know, I joke I grew up in an Irish Catholic family in, in New Jersey. So you have like 4,000 cousins, which is awesome. But that's not where the deeper conversation connection happened. It's, it's these one-on-one times uh, that it did. So... Uh, And the one-on-one time is just accelerated in effectiveness when you're not distracted. And, you know, I know you're, you know, into your fitness. If you're with John and the gang at Front Row, intermittent fasting, you know, lots of talk around it, organ revitalization, weight maintenance, muscle, good for muscle. Um, You're not giving up eating, but you're choosing to eat between this time and this time. And that's where we're at with intermittent tech fasting. You gotta have times of complete and total unavailability for the people that are most important in your life. There was this badge of honor, like, I'm always on, you can call me at midnight, I'll be there, You know, I'll pick up the phone if I'm at dinner with my family. I'm like, I won't, You yep. know, absolutely not. So weekly date night with my wife, Matt, my phone's not invited. Uh, these one-on-one days with my children, my phone is not invited. I'm not giving up technology, but it can't get in the way during these times. You know, there was this um, story that I tell, I, I, I aim every day to turn off my phone for at least two hours at the end of the workday. Leave my phone in the car or out in my, my little man office outside of our house. And uh, you know, a couple years ago, my, my eight year old, who at the time was five, I got home, drove in, and um, she's like, Daddy, let's get on the trampoline. And uh, I'm like, okay. So I break my own rule, Matt. I keep my phone in my pocket. And I'm jumping on the trampoline and I hear this. Zzz, zzz, zzz. Now I don't even have to look, but my brain, ADD brain, is going in seven different directions. I'm like, "What's that?" And I pull it out, and I had a real estate closing, and uh, and someone messed it up. It didn't go through. Um, it was like the easiest, most simple thing. It's 5:30 now. There's nothing I can do, and uh, so there. I'm trying to work it out. I'm swearing under my breath. And uh, and then I come to consciousness of what's right in front of me, and my daughter's sitting there, almost with the little you know lower quivering lip, and and I look at her like something's wrong. She she just says, "Oh, dad, daddy, why are you so mad at me?" And it was like a knife through the through the back, through the heart, through the arm, through the head. I'm like, ah, like we think we're that good, we think we're that good at multitasking, and that we can you know put ourselves in two different places. We really can't. It shows on our face and our emotions. We embarrass ourselves when we think we're actually giving a, a, a intelligent answer, but we're you know we're, we're on a text or that uh-huh, and you and you think oh I just you know was able to pay attention. Your kids are like what the hell did they just say? That mm-hmm. was or your wife, and so it has become painfully clear to me that I can I can project some real you know when you're an entrepreneur there are some tough moments. So if I'm on a tough call in front of my family or or taking something like that, I don't want to dump that on them. So I want some space, some unavailability between the two.
1: Yeah, and I think you brought up the point about the text. I, I see that very frequently in my world as well. And it's even worse with these things, the Apple Watches, right? Now I get it on my wrist and it's a quick glance, but all of a sudden now you've snapped out of, immediate focus on the prioritization that should be in front of you, which is your wife or your child or something like that, to what's
0: on your wrist or what's on your phone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, so what it's, yeah, it's, it's an important thing and, and people will actually feel like time slows down. It's the yeah. best way I can tell you. I did a, um, you know, I've people like four hours. Oh my gosh, four hours. I'm like, I can almost guarantee the world's not going to blow up. Correct. And if your business has been built where it will blow up, we got to look at some other things. But I've actually worked up Matt to to turning off my phone for f- three four days, you know. And and I remember doing that the first Christmas I did it a few years ago. I told my friends and family, call Jamie's phone, my wife's phone. I'm just turning off. I don't want anyone putting anything in my in my in my realm except for fun and family and Christmas right now. And it, man, it those days were so long and so happy and so engaging. Uh, I, I it's okay that I missed a guy in seventh grade's. Christmas present <laughs> that I didn't even really know, and right. you know, on yeah. Facebook or something. So, <laughs> did
1: you feel a, a, a renewed sense of energy as well? Yeah. I, one of the best things I like about traveling abroad is I don't typically get the phone plans or the text plans or anything like that. And why I do it specifically because it forces me to have those tech fast. And I remember a couple of years ago, this is before Wi Fi was prevalent and all that sort of stuff, I was in Amalfi in Italy and mm. I didn't have phone access for a week. And I remember the first day being a little itchy and thinking, like, what am I missing? I'm not a part of things, et cetera. And by the end of it, I just felt like I had so much energy and a renewed focus and creativity and all those sorts of things. So even if yeah. you're not fully bought into this, go put yourself in a place where you don't have self-service, and I promise your world will change.
0: Yeah, and, and I even tell people, Matt, because what we're talking about gets scary, like, well week? Whoa, what – but I tell, we, when in, during the pandemic, we did something called the dinner time challenge because everyone was just sucked to their devices and TV and news. And so we said, all right, to our community, so let's start with one hour, one hour a day where everybody's phone's off, yours, your spouse's, if you have teens, theirs. You're not telling them that they can't use their phone, but for the next hour, everyone's phone goes off. And I got to tell you, the level of connection, how much deeper it is, the conversation, just, just the overall camaraderie is stunning how much more engaging it is when everyone will turn off their devices at the same time. And we're talking about an, an hour experiment. Try an experiment for an hour with everyone around you because if one person is blocking you know, the flow of, of connection with, with the phone in front of them, that won't work. But just try it. See what happens. It's an experiment. Have fun with it. I love it. I love it. Well, the last part you mentioned was letting
1: them pick out an activity to go have a little bit of fun. Talk to us about how do we integrate this into the family board meeting?
0: Yeah, our third guiding principle is fun activity with focus reflection, and that is a, pretty much a short definition for experiential education. And for for a kid who who never did good in school, I am just a total nerd when it comes to learning techniques. And experiential education is fascinating. How how engaging it is and how much you remember and recall and can pull upon and and the depth of it and and actually, you know, putting it to use. So, I love experiential education. That's why we've always done retreats and, you know, been involved in in things where it gets you out in the trenches. And with our children, you know, fun goes a lot further than lecture. And so, and and one thing I've learned about us, Matt, is we, we have the best intentions But if we really want to know our kids' gifts and talents, what they're really interested in, we can't be that bullheaded entrepreneur that knows best and always plan things. You know, and I've always say this joke, like if you and I like football and you you drag them off to a professional football game and you're all proud, you give yourself a little punch to the arm like, yeah, this is great. But if you ask the kid, they're like, I don't really like football. But I went, total game changer when they plan the day. Now you're gonna to start to see their gifts and talents. Now they're gonna have ownership and they're also gonna say, wow, I can plan it and you're gonna go all in. It, it, it really gives them an excitement. And I, you know, my, my oldest son, like I just talked about, well, Matt, I'm a surfer. I'd much rather surf than go fishing. And I like fishing, but if I have 10 choices to go surfing, I'll choose surfing every 10 times and not choose fishing. Um, but my son loves fishing. So he would always pick to go fishing on several of these one-on-one days. And now he owns his own charter fishing business. You know, I'm all about that and he's good. He's very good. And and we have friends who've done well in, in, in this realm and have great lifestyles and finances. And he's super excited. And I'd like to think if I had ruined it by saying, let's go surfing, let's go to this. Letting him pick the day goes all in. You know, with my daughter, I've had more princess parties than I want to admit, <laughs> you know, on this podcast. I'm not the prettiest princess, but, she gets so excited and, and when, when you do go all in on their terms, Matt, first of all, the guard goes down. If there's more decompression which opens up communication and there's a bigger level of trust. You know, that's the currency of a child, fun, going fun, all in on their terms is really exciting, something they care about and that's where you can have those focus reflections at the end. And a focus reflection at the end is just communicating. hey, what was your favorite part of today and why? That's the opening question of experiential education. And you'll be amazed how much that can start to open up some conversations. Not every time. This conversation might only be five minutes. Other times it might be an hour and a half. And this, it varies every time. But I'll tell you what I've learned, Matt, in this focused reflection period. This is where, against my pig-headed ego, where, you know, we keep our guard up. We're raised in certain ways. This is where I've had the courage to give some sincere compliments and genuine apologies. And I can't stress to people enough, if you have the courage, especially as a male out there where it's kind of frowned upon and, 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 and even we've been given an immunity. Entrepreneurs, you know, we're, we're almost immune from apologizing. You know how hard I'm working? You know how many businesses? I'm running two businesses doing this. Yeah, I might have been short and impatient or not shown up. You know, I get immunity and you don't even offer an apology. I mean, that's crazy. And I talk from this from, from, again, I'm my own experiment here with this whole 18 summers and I've done it wrong before. Uh, But I got to tell you how far an apology goes and not just for me, for other people. Hey, I know this divorce has been really hard on you and it's not your fault. You didn't have anything to do with that. And I know there's been some pull back and forth and just some really uncomfortable moments. I just want to say I'm sorry. Man, does that go far away? Hey, you know what? I've been working a lot more than I, I usually do. And, 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 and when, I have, when I've been around, I've been a little distant and in my head and short and impatient. That's not fair to you and it's not because of you. I'm sorry. This is recognition and it, it takes away giving ourselves immunity, that's the stuff that a seven-year-old will remember. And when they're 17, again, I, I can say now with an almost 18, almost 20-year-old, I didn't have those rebellion years. I just didn't have them. We were way too open and there was a level of respect. And I think half of it was having the courage to give that compliment that I thought I gave and I haven't, so they have something more to live up to and realize their worth and just the apologies.
1: You mentioned how you've seen them react long term in the teenage years, not being as rebellious and things like that. How have you seen them react in the short term when you say, I'm sorry, I did that wrong there. I snapped. I didn't mean to do that. Things like that.
0: I think there's a level of shock because I think, unfortunately, kids have been conditioned that even though an apology might be due, it's almost like we've granted ourselves immunity. And so I think there's a happy shock. Like, wow. Wow. Okay, no, that's, and and, and normally it's been very, that's okay, it's it's okay, okay, they're quick to even accept it, at least in my cases, you know, and that might always be the case, but they, I've heard of people where it's not at first, they come back and say how they appreciate it, Um, but I think that it's given, it takes their, it puts their guard down, and on most of this stuff of what I do, it it lowers the guard, so they're not always on guard, like you're about to jump down their throat, or, or... you know, or point out the 50 things they need to improve in their life. Their guard is down. They're more receptive to communicating. They're feeling closer, um, and and that's priceless.
1: Yeah, that's that's what we see in our family, right? I we we are very big on apologizing when we as the adults make a mistake. Like we drop something, we throw away their toy, we you know do something stupid like that. And what I've seen is we're going through a transition right now with our oldest, who is really just naturally good at a lot of things. He's a head taller than everybody in his grade, and he's a year younger. So, like, he's still uh, got that physical presence. And so he's Mm -hmm. just naturally good at things. And so he thinks, like, oh, I can't go do these things because I'm not good at them. And we're trying to show him through apologies when we make mistakes, acknowledging him and things like that. That we, even as the adults, the superhumans can make mistakes as well. We've seen him step out of that shell of being okay at being bad at things too. So I was wondering if that was uh, something that was new to us or if that's across
0: the board. No, it it gives them more confidence, like you said. And it shows the one thing I can tell you when we, when we give compliments and I love to say, like, like one of my sons, one of my daughters is an incredible uh, artist. I'm like, I don't know how you guys do that. I said, that is incredible. I, I could never draw like that or paint like that. And it's true. My wife's very talented. I, I'm not. So I self deprecate myself a little bit, honestly, and then give a very sincere compliment. So I think there's just an honesty there, um, that, that they really appreciate. And again, You're building confidence then, which is so key. And, you know, if you've read my book where I talk about my my six-year-old when he said, you know, we've been doing these board meetings for about a year. And he said, Dad, have you ever been afraid? And I was completely ashamed of myself. Because if I was putting up this image where a six-year-old is thinking, like, I've never been afraid, how is he going to live up to that?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I remember what I was like at six. I'm like, oh my gosh, buddy, when I was your age and let me just list them off. But if he's thinking that, then then the Superman complex complex is not a good thing because our kids think they can't live up to that. Well, I don't have anything in common, you know, with with my dad. He's never been afraid. That's that is a re- and it's not true. Why would you want to put up a false flag of who you are and how you've become who you are? It, it you know, we do it for pride. Uh, so it's it's something that um, you know you really got to watch, and and I understand sometimes apologies and apologies Matt cannot be well I'm sorry you were bothered you. by that you know no. the backhanded apologies not a good idea, uh, but but with you know I think it's a trickle down effect and you're going to see that on the journey you're about to go on, it's got to be you and your wife first and and then and then the kids, it's just uh, you have to stand together. And and our kids watch my, my wife, Jamie and I apologize to each other, you know, and, and we still have disagreements, setbacks, but they see us apologize. And that will take a 10 minute issue and keep it a 10 minute issue instead of a four day debacle. Mm-hmm. And man, it, it, it's so much easier to give a sincere apology to, to do a quicker recovery. And, and, and life's going to be more enjoyable for everyone involved as well.
1: Yeah, I think what you're talking about is focused on child kids right now, but so much of this is applicable to how you handle relationships in your general yeah. uh, network as well. I, I love that idea. Like, we can keep this a 10-minute issue or let it go on for four days. I'd rather keep it a 10-minute issue. Um, how do you handle the objection that, hey, that's great, Jim, but you're super successful? I can't. What if my kid pl- wants to plan something that's way outside of my budget or just not doable, et cetera? How do you talk through
0: that? I've faced that question so many times, Matt, and there should be a a piece of relief out there for people who are just starting out and maybe they're not in a financial position. And, you know, I wasn't in this huge financial position 12 years ago. I mean, I had survived the 08 meltdown, barely scraped the grounds of bankruptcy, survived, protected my investors. But man, did that take a, a hit to my personal financial well-being? So it's not like I was rolling in it when I started the, with my my two oldest boys, but the thing that should give encouragement is, I mean, I can't tell you how many times it's been less than ten dollars, mm-hmm. and you know, going to the beach is free. Um, you know, going up the lighthouse was like three bucks. Um, you, you, you know, uh, swimming somewhere. You know what I mean? It's it doesn't have to be some grandiose. Um, you know, box seats at a big sports event, it might be, you know, and maybe that's once in a while, you know, and also we started to do some volunteer stuff. Like once a year, I tell them to pick the volunteer activity for their board meeting. So walking dogs at the, at the no kill shelter, that's free, you know, and then, yeah, we'd pay for lunch, but you're not talking airline tickets and and big, big expenses, that's not normally what kids ask for. What I've found is a lot of times the kids just want your focus. And it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be something expensive. And And then if they ask for it, there's compromise. Well, no, we can't fly and go see your favorite team. But hey, there's, there's a college team nearby that the tickets are $12 and not an airline ticket and $2,000. And so there's compromise within the same realms. You know, fishing doesn't mean you have to go out on a, a rent a, your own private charter boat and go out deep sea fishing. For me and Alden, it was a little bit of bait right at the the bait shack at the end of the pier. Getting on the pier was $5, and we had our own rods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, this is something that a lot of newer people think, if I don't have money, I can't give them a good experience. That's just not true. Yeah. Um, you know, we give lists now with, with the new book that came out of things we've done. Some will cost money, others will not.
1: Yeah. I I love this idea, too, of like your expectations are probably not your child's expectations. They've never tasted Wagyu beef. They've never gone to a Michelin star restaurant. Like they don't even know these things exist. So when we do our yes days, as we call them here, um, it's usually like canoeing down the Harpeth River here in Nashville, which to your point, it's like 20 bucks, which... Mm -hmm is not a whole lot of money considering the the
0: value you'll get long-term. Exactly. And that's, that's where people, it's funny before people start on, on doing kind of our family rhythms, especially this one, the fears that they have, I understand why they have them, but I'm, I'm very happy to report they're normally just phantoms. Mm -hmm. it's they put so much and that's i think before you really go into a business you're like oh this is going to be really tough and you're like gosh that was really had nothing to do with my business or very little you know as kids i think what's the joke i thought that you know quicksand and anvils falling out of the sky were are gonna have a greater effect in my life they just haven't you know <laughs> so do you, do you know how many
1: conversations we've had about quicksand in, in this household specifically and oh, piranhas? Man. piranhas
0: are in every body of water you've ever seen over here <laughs> exactly so exactly you're not going to run into too many piranhas in the atlantic ocean you know right. or you know right where we are but uh but i thought we would that's for sure right. Quicksand right. and, and piranhas, definitely. So there's a lot of quicksand and piranhas in people's heads when they're starting to connect with their children because it's uncomfortable. And look, Matt, especially for guys like us, this is a very vulnerable thing. We're stepping in. I, I, don't, I still don't have a complete grasp of where I'm stepping in. I'm so glad I did. What's my part? Who am I? Am I important? You know, we, it used to be hard for me to admit that, but it was there. And, uh, and so it, we're, we're worried the child's going to reject us. And that's a pretty, you know, that's a, a, a pretty vulnerable position to be in, but yep. I'll tell you, it's worth it. You know, yep. take the chance.
1: I, I said that to a front row dad the other day. I'm like, it's the most difficult, challenging and fulfilling experiment I've ever done in my life. I would agree hundred um, percent. Jim, this is a real estate show and i want to be cognizant of your time. I got to squeeze out of you. What are you doing in real estate these days? And
0: talk us through a little bit of that. Yeah, so I got started in real estate 24 years ago. First property I ever bought, Lompoc, California. Three-family house, $152,500. I remember the agent calling me and I started hyperventilating in my rental apartment because I'm like, how am I going to do this? This is crazy. So just like anyone, I started small, went into rehabs, rehab and foreclosures, got out of California, came uh, to Florida and uh, was doing rehabs here and that's when 08 hit and by luck we survived uh, the 08 meltdown. A lot of people went under. We were able to hang on. And by hanging on, there were so many great deals that we, uh, we went into bulk foreclosures. But then those dried up about nine years ago, or at least for the numbers we wanted. So my now building partner and I, who had done deals back and forth, said, Hey, what, what if we built our own properties instead of you know, trying to find old properties to renovate? And uh, that was the start of our build-to-rent venture. It's before the word build to rent was ever around. We were doing build to rent before it had that term. And now, um, you know, that first year, we did about $3 million in, in, in new build properties. Last year, we did 185 million in sales. So wow. we've been able to scale the company um, to a great level. We went from one market to about 12 different markets in Florida. Um, and so our job, our services, we build portfolios for busy professionals in new construction high growth areas in Florida. You know, people who want to take a lot of the uncertainty and the research and the, the extra headaches out. Um, we do that, you know, learning off the coattails of all the mistakes I, I learned for the first 15 years. Um, but build to rent is my focus, uh, Matt. Single family, duplexes quad, so all residential real estate, you know, and we do it in volume for ourselves and our investor clients.
1: So are you're not building to rent like subdivisions you're just building like a quad for instance and selling that off one to one to an individual
0: investor So we will so we build some communities like we do work with some of the larger institutions and family offices and we'll build them a whole community Uh but but a lot of times We'll build what's called infill lots. So it's an established neighborhood already with a lot of great ratio of homeowners to renters, which I was always taught is an important thing. So we'll buy the extra lots in there and and build a single family, a duplex, a quad. Um, You know, and again, there's a great ratio that way of, of owners and renters. And we'll also build like the largest development we ever did had a thousand units, right? A thousand, thousand lots. But what we did is we sold 850 of the lots to national home builders, so they'd build their nice properties all around us. And we kept 150 lots for ourselves to build our build-to-rent properties. That way, again, what I've been taught is, you know, I don't like all investor-owned neighborhoods, map. If I can avoid them, I like to have that home ownership and renter um, uh, kind of ratio to it.
1: Yep. And I, this is very similar to how I got started. My first buy was a townhome that got built actually like 15 months, 16 months before I uh, purchased it. There was one homeowner in it. So it's a little bit new. And since I wasn't buying directly from the builder, but essentially like I've had one issue on that property in eight years now, is it the best cash flowing property I own? No, but it's gone up tremendously in value and I've had zero issues and zero headaches with it. So if you're a busy professional, highly encourage you to kind of look at the space.
0: Yeah, and that's that's why we went into it, you know. I'm sure you know, Matt, being with you involved, involved, the, the three-year curse. We call it the three-year curse. You know, I, with old old foreclosure homes from the 50s and 60s, I can do a new roof, new heating and cooling, new plumbing, update kitchens, baths. But I knew after three years I was going to have to start upping my budget for maintenance and repairs. It's just how it was, you know. And now being over nine years in on the, the new construction model, we haven't seen that three-year curse. And that was really important to me for my properties, for our investor clients, You know, we don't want that uncertainty. We don't want, you know, we think, oh, the price is right, so I'll take some deferred maintenance. But what I've learned is deferred maintenance always comes back bigger than we thought it would be, and it comes at the exact wrong time that we don't want it.
1: (laughs) As someone who just had one of those, I can definitely appreciate that.
0: (laughs) And I I own old homes, so I do it both ways. But, you know, doing a few thousand rehabs versus new construction, I don't do rehabs anymore. Let's just put it that yep. way. Yep.
1: Um, well, Jim, I want to be cognizant of your time and switch us now to our last round. We call this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's giving you a, a paradigm shift?
0: You know, someone just asked me that this morning and just thinking about my sons, we all like the alchemist. It's, yeah. it's, I have lots of favorite books, but that's a really good story form for people who are like, Oh, I don't have time to read or I get bored. That's a great story form uh, that I really enjoyed. I also, uh, really like for you know the wealth side the the richest man in babylon's a classic as well
1: yeah the alchemist actually doesn't get mentioned a lot during this segment and uh i do agree that's a fantastic book our second one is i believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day what are some of the habits that you have
0: every day i spend a lot of quality time with my family unapologetically now and i feel really good about that um and i work within my 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 genius So my habits stay within my genius. I don't try to do everything anymore, Matt. I'm very honest. I took inventory about six years ago of what I'm good at and what I'm not. And I only am staying within those few things I'm good at, which is building relationships, telling the story, and and strategizing for what lies ahead. Those are kind of the three things I lead my company with you know, we don't want me in any other areas. So I just focus on those things uh, because God forbid you hand me paperwork, it's going to be crumpled up in the back of my car. Um, you know, so stick within your genius. That's one of the things I do every day and challenge myself to stay within. And I love, love it. I love having conversations like this. So I have a lot of these. Love it. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice family wise was my mentor who said, I want you to look at this. You got 18 summers and when i you know came into those my oldest boy's life at 7 and 5 man did that put a positive flame under my rear great advice for the personal side the business side as a real estate investor if i'm going to be really good and on the inside track and be one of the masters not a dabbler you should be able to say your niche within one sentence and that sentence can change as mine has but you know right now like when you said what do you do i said i build new construction Properties in high growth areas in Florida. That's it. I mean, that is my focus, and that was really good advice because I've learned if I'm dabbling in seven different niches and trying this, I'm, I'm never really getting the traction or or um or volume growth that I could if I was focused on one thing.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing I'm struggling with right now. So I'm glad to hear that. Uh, that's the that's the answer. That's the answer. Yeah. Our fourth one is: What are you most proud of in your life? <sighs>
0: I, um, I would say it's, you know, and it's, it, I've just taken a different approach to family life. You know, I've, I, I don't over lean on, on traditional education. I want to be involved in my kids' education and my wife did as well. We take an exorbitant amount of adventures. Um, we, we've done a lot of service work. You know, I was able to take time out, um, even in our busiest times to donate a kidney to my father. Like I've just. I've been given the opportunity to do some really cool things family-wise, and I've, I've actually gone through and done them. you know. And, and I didn't think I'd have five children, and, and I do now, and so it's, it's definitely been a big part of my life, keeping that relationship strong while I was an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, really tough to balance too, so I applaud you it on is. that. Our fifth and final one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it
0: be and why? Yeah, I would, uh, you know, someone asked me this the other day, surprisingly, not a bowl of ice cream, just to have a meal. So ice cream is different and, and tastier, uh, but it would be my paternal grandfather. My dad's dad died when he was six years old. And wow. uh, so I never got to meet him and my dad barely got to meet him. But he was an incredible man, Irish immigrant, um, and just had a really cool story, but died young. And uh, and so I never got to meet him. And uh, so that it would definitely be a bowl of ice cream with him.
1: Did he come over through Ellis Island? He came through Ellis
0: Island. He he landed in New York. And after a few months, he was shipped right back out to fight in World War One. He fought in World War One. There's uh, my sister right before my dad died two years ago. Her and my dad put together his diaries from there, which my dad wouldn't look at for years because it was too hard for him. And he just had the, came through these incredible battles, and I don't know how he kept this journal, but we got it made into a book with a historian and uh he lived an incredible life, but he was gassed in world war one and he he came home and the the poison was lodged in his belly, and he died twenty years later um you know from it so it's it, it was a sad thing with a young family and so yeah, it's tough, but you know i I feel like that our goal for our real estate business is How do we help people buy back their time and have a legendary family life? And all legendary family life is all the things my grandfather, my dad didn't get to do in their life I want to do. So we're actually going back to Ireland two weeks to retrace his steps with my family, go back to some of my uh, remaining relatives over there and and, kind of, you know, see some cool things that are part of my history. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty touching.
1: Hello story. Well, Jim, fantastic. Thank you so much. You've added a ton of value to our listeners. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about the family board meeting, 18 Summers, or what you got going on in real estate, where are the best places we could point them? Yeah, if
0: you're interested in, in 18 Summers in the book, you can go to 18summers.com. It's available also on Amazon, Books, Barnes & Nobles, wherever you want to find it. And for our real estate business, a great starting point is jjplaybook.com. That's kind of my wife and my journey through passive income real estate and how do we build up to what we have and and help others do the same. And that talks about our build a rent company and, uh, and the clients that we work with.
1: Awesome. Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.